Well, church, I hope you're ready for a word from the Lord. I'm excited about preaching in a different environment every single week. It's breaking things up for me. Hopefully it's encouraging you as well and giving you something different to look at as well. Uh, if you have your Bibles, why don't you go to Mark chapter 4? Mark chapter 4. And if you're ready for a word, you know, normally I say type, I'm ready. But this time, why don't you type, I believe? Type that in the comments. Yeah, I believe. As you know, last week we started a new sermon series entitled, Now What? We're asking questions. We're asking a series of questions that Jesus asked people who were following him in his earthly life and ministry. And so, so many times we ask God, now what? Now what should I do about this? Now what should I do about these situations? But then God will return and ask us. Many times we don't have answers for the questions that God asks us. Yes, we can ask God all the questions that we want, and we have all the time and room and space for that. But the difference is when we ourselves do not have answers for the questions that God asks us, we end up having a monolithic, monologue relationship with God, and we want a dynamic relationship with God. So last week we asked the first question, do you believe? And in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, I want to read this passage for you. And now we're going to ask the second question in this line, in this Now What series. It says here in verse 35, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Verse 38 says, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Or in other translations, Peace, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, catch this, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And verse 41 says, They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Will you pray with me right now? Father God, we acknowledge your presence in this place. And we ask that as we open up your word, that it would cause our hearts and our souls to come alive. God, would you reveal to these, your people, what they need to hear, the moment that they need to hear it, the special word. There's a word that I have, but God, there are deeper words that you have. So God, would you move upon me? There can't be a fire in anyone's place if there's an iceberg behind this virtual pulpit. So God, would you light me on fire that I may burn for you, burn for your truth, burn for your love, burn for your justice. May the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer and whom I trust. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So many of us have been watching everything that's taken place over this past week. And we have to be honest about the fact that it has been shocking to witness. I remember a couple of days ago, I was in a board meeting, actually, for one of the organizations that I'm a part of that I lead. And someone in the organization texted me and they said, hey, they're, they're ransacking, they're storming the Capitol. And I said, what? They're storming the Capitol building. And I remember I looked back and I was like, what do you mean that they're storming the Capitol building? And so the uh, colleague, she said, listen, you have to check this out. You have to go to a new site. So I was definitely multitasking, as many of us do, trying to find images and a live feed of what was taking place. 
in Washington, D.C., in our nation's capital. And I was truly shocked by what I was seeing. Yes, it was believable that people would protest in that way, but it was utterly surreal that they would do so at the Capitol building, the place that is the, for us, the doorsteps of democracy. And so I was shocked by the amount of intensity that the crowd had, the amount of people that were there. I was shocked that there were people who sent them there, right? Like they didn't go there by themselves. I was also shocked by the white supremacist, white nationalist iconography that we saw. I was also shocked by the images, the Christian tie-ins that were made. I was shocked by the fact that there was a cross, that there was Jesus saves as a sign, that there were Christian flags alongside Confederate flags and American flags and don't tread on me flags. It, it, was, it was a stunning situation. It was a stunning scene. Perhaps nothing like that has ever happened in recent memory in American history. We'd have to go all the way back to probably 1812 and foreign wars on American soil. But the thing that kept coming up that I saw in the faces of the congressmen and congresswomen, that I saw in the faces of the Capitol Police, that I saw in the faces of all the people who were watching, that I heard from the political pundits and the cultural commentators, there was one word that kept coming up over and over again. It's the word fear. Type fear in the comments, fear. This is scary. We are afraid. There is so much fear. And it's true, there is certainly fear involved. It is scary. This is the real deal, church. Don't get me wrong. We are at a reckoning in our nation's history. This is a moment, a seminal moment of our generation. We recognize that. But the question that kept coming up, the question that I kept feeling in my heart is, God, how am I going to talk about this on Sunday morning? What can I say to the people of God as it relates to this very tumultuous, fearful situation that we're all in? And God said, stay true to the series. I got you covered. So here's the second question in the Now What series. You heard it in Mark chapter four. The question is this, why are you so afraid? <laughs> why are you so afraid? Why don't you type it in the comments? Why are you afraid? Why are you scared? Why are you scared? And what I see here is the question Jesus asked is the question we have to ask ourselves. Why are we so afraid? Now, why is this so important? This is important because, hear me, you can't enter into a new year without addressing old fears. Let me say it again. You can't enter into a new year without addressing old fears. You cannot bring the same fears and concerns and worries and trepidations and tremblings into 2021. You must address and confront them. You must address and confront the things that have you scared, have you terrified, have you worried, and have you concerned. Because here's what you have to understand. The wrong fear will poison your year. Let me say it again. The wrong fears will poison your year. Here's, here's something that I want to say initially here. Fear is misunderstood, especially in a time of the pandemic. Most people ascribe fear. Most Christians ascribe fear in regards to whether or not you think the pandemic is real or it's something that can affect us. Whether or not you think the pandemic is something that should prevent us meeting in church or something that should keep us from meeting in church, or something that shouldn't keep us from meeting in church, right? That's, I think, a misunderstanding, an oversimplification of fear. 
I've said this before, but, but we have to understand that caution is not fear, recklessness is not faith. Okay, Caution is not fear, recklessness is not faith. There is a wisdom, a fear, a, a concern, a caution that is good and healthy. There are some things we should be afraid of. There are some situations we should be afraid of. But what I'm talking about is not the presence of fear, but what underlines our fear. I don't think Jesus is asking the question of why are you so afraid to promote or push a message of condemnation, but he's actually interrogating our foundation. What is causing us to be afraid? See, catch this. The presence of fear is not the problem, but what's empowering your fear might be the problem. What is giving rise to your fear? Why are you so afraid? What is the foundation of your fear? What is the motivation of your fear? What is the intention of your fear? And the wrong fears will act as what Howard Thurman calls this. Howard Thurman puts it like this. Fear is one of the most persistent hounds of hell. So fear, the wrong type of fear, will chase you down, consume you, and drag you into darkness. No, church, it, there are not a lot of things that get me going. There are not a lot of things that get me turned up. You want to know something that gets me turned up? When powerful women and men are afraid of things they shouldn't be. When people of purpose who have the power of the Holy Spirit are afraid of things that should not have them bound in fear. There are good fears, and then there are some fears you got to leave in 2020. You can't bring those old fears into the new year. And some of us have to be honest about the fact that we are kept from our purpose in God and we're kept from moving to the next level of maturity in our walk with God because we are afraid of some things that we should not be. The wrong fear will poison your year, church. And so I want to encourage you today to interrogate your fears. I want to encourage you today to ask the question, why am I so afraid? The same question that Jesus asked his disciples is the question we must ask of ourselves on a daily basis. If there is fear that continually arises, why am I so afraid? Not a question of condemnation, but a message of interrogation, a message of foundation. What is causing this fear? In Mark chapter four, we see this passage. You've probably heard of it. This, this is a passage, or you probably heard it even preached before. It's a passage where Jesus calms the storm. And it's famous because Jesus was sleeping, right? Jesus was taking a nap in the midst of all this unrest. And really, I think what we see here implicitly and also explicitly are four fears that we must be careful of. I believe that these are four fears that are actually the wrong kind of fear. And these fears, while they may seem to be harmless, and while they may seem to be light and may seem not to be a big deal, they will keep you from walking fully in your purpose in God. Let's talk about the first fear here. The first fear is a fear of loss. The fear of loss. Catch this, Mark chapter 4, verse 37. It says, a furious squall came up when they were already in the boats, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And then verse 38, after it says that Jesus was in the stern sleeping on the cushion, the disciples woke him up. So the disciples were terrified. The disciples were afraid. 
And clearly the disciples were afraid because of the fact that they thought they were going to drown. They thought that they were going to be consumed by these waves. That's a legitimate fear, right? It's a legitimate fear for the disciples to fear losing their lives and losing the opportunity to see their families again. It seems like that's a legitimate fear, but I want to challenge something in your heart. Sometimes we are afraid of losing things that we should be afraid of losing. Other times we are afraid of losing the wrong things. We're afraid of losing the wrong things. We're afraid of losing status. We're afraid of losing opportunity. We're afraid of losing the chance for advancement. We're afraid of losing our standing in society. We're afraid of losing the comparison and the approval of other people. And here's what I think. Some of us are waking Jesus up for the wrong things. <laughs> Some of us are waking Jesus up because we sense we're going to lose something that we thought was a part of our identity. And here's what you need to understand. Fear will destroy your ability to think sensibly. The wrong kind of fear will destroy your ability to think sensibly. Let me give you an example of this. In 2019, the Pew Research Forum, they did a poll. They did a poll because they were noticing population changes that has been talked about for many, many years. And these population changes predict to us that according to the Census Bureau, before 2050, the majority of the United States will be made up of minority populations, of people of color, that the majority, we will be a majority minority culture. That's what they said. And according to Pew Research's forum, 46% of white people fear that this would weaken U.S. culture. They fear that if a certain group of people came in, and overtook the majority, that they would lose a part of what makes them them. And because they would lose a part of what makes them them, that animates them to go and storm a Capitol building. That animates them to go and treat people differently. That animates them to go and silence our concerns and cares. And it's not just them. This is not an us versus them message because the truth of the matter is, the poll also shows some things about our culture as well. The poll also showed that some uh, 20% of black people were also concerned about this weakening our culture. And some 25% of, of Latinx people were also concerned about this weakening our culture. See, I fear that in our culture, we're afraid of losing the wrong things, church. We're afraid of losing things that don't belong to us in the first place. We're afraid of losing things that would take away from our identity when our identity should have never been in those things to begin with. Here's some things that you shouldn't be afraid of losing. If you're afraid of losing power, that's a problem. If you're afraid of losing the approval of others, that's a problem. If you're afraid of losing status, that's a problem. If you are afraid of losing your advantage over other people who you think don't belong in the same place as you do, that's a problem, church. See, some things we should not be afraid of losing because, catch this, you cannot lose what God commanded you to have. You can't lose what God commanded you to have. Some of us are worried about losing and it being taken away from us. Can you catch this? Even if you lose your life, that's not even losing it. <laughs> He says, even if you lose your life, you will gain it. And if you gain your life, you'll lose it. 
<laughs> the things that you think you can lose, you can't lose them, church. The things that really make you you, you can't lose those things. You can't lose the things that God has commanded for you to have. And this is an encouragement to someone to not live a fearful life of loss. I will lose something if I follow God. I will lose something if I do what God has called me to do. Perhaps that's something you should have lost in the first place. The fear of loss will keep you from walking in the purpose of God. And so we see here that fear will destroy our ability to think sensibly. They woke Jesus up, even though they themselves were trained fishermen. We'll get into that in a second. But there's a second fear. This fear, this fear is really interesting. This is the fear of isolation, the fear of loneliness, the fear of being left by ourselves. Let me talk about it in this context, because the end, the B clause of verse 38 it gets into something that I think is a probing question, a question that we need to interrogate within what the disciples were feeling in this moment. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? It was not teacher, help us. It was not Lord, save us in this moment. They said, teacher, don't you care? And for many of us, we have to ask our, ourselves this question as it relates to the fear of loneliness. Why are we asking God if God truly cares? Why are we asking God if God truly sees? Why are we asking God if God truly knows? There's a time when we will ask God questions, of course. There's a time where we will press God and say the things that I'm seeing in my life are different than the things that you promised me. Those are legitimate questions, but we took it a step further here. The disciples said, teacher, do you even care? Do you even care? Are you even worried about us? Are you even concerned with us? God, don't you care? I feel alone. God, don't you care? And when we start giving the problem giving the situation more power, more intensity, more focus, then our knowledge, our conviction of the power of God and the character of God, we have to ask ourselves the question, have we gone too far? H have I stepped outside of the bounds of just simply interrogating and asking God these healthy questions and having doubts? And have I stepped into the realm of forgetting all that God has done for me? Teacher, don't you care that we drown? Don't you even care? You see my situation. Don't you even, you're sleeping on the, don't you care, God? And some of us, we have to take a step back and say these intense questions are healthy and good, but we must never allow the presence of the storm to make us question the character of God. Let me say it again. We must never allow the presence of the storm to make us question the character of our God. Yes, it may seem as though God is not present in the exact same ways that we expected, but some of us have allowed this fear of being isolated, this fear of being alone, to drive us into seeking company and pleasures and other things that would actually push us further away from the one who can calm our storms. Do you even care, God? Do you even care? 
And the question is, what makes us think that God doesn't care? Is it because of our situations? Even God himself, even Jesus in the flesh, faced situations that caused him to question, faced situations that caused him to be in pain. Do we think that because we serve God that we're not going to be alone sometimes, church? Do we think that because we follow Jesus that that's going to keep us away from being ostracized by people? I have bad news for you, church. There are going to be some times where we will have to walk through some journeys by ourselves in an earthly context. But here's what Jesus promises. He would always be with us. He'll always be with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Do we believe that more than we believe the presence of our current storm? So we have here the fear of loss, the fear of loneliness. This is the third fear. Very important here. Because you go down to verse 40, and it says here, Jesus asked his disciples, why are you so afraid? Then he says, do you still have no faith? (laughs) This is interesting because I think the third fear is the fear of opposition. The fear of opposition. The fear of opposition is interesting in this context because the disciples were on a sea. The disciples were in the Sea of Galilee. This is a lake in northern Israel. If you're familiar with the typography, the Sea of Galilee is about seven miles wide and 160 or so feet deep. And this is a great place for, catch this, fishing. The Sea of Galilee is a great place for fishing. And the Sea of Galilee was being inhabited by some people who knew a little something about fish. (laughs) Think about it. Some of the disciples that Jesus called, many of the disciples that Jesus called, had a vocation. And one of their vocations was that they were fishermen. So it's not like they hadn't seen a storm before. Catch this. It's they hadn't seen a storm like this before. And so there was a fear that they didn't have the strength to overcome the opposition that they faced. Are you catching me, church? They had a certain type of fear. And this certain type of fear was, I've never seen something like this before. And because I've never seen something like this before, it is now tearing me down, breaking down my faith, and pulling me down lower than I've ever been before. And now I have to question God. Now I have to question my reality. Now I have to question my surroundings. It's not that the fear was strong. It's that their belief was not strong enough to match it. Let me say it again. It's not that their fear was strong. It's okay to have strong fears. It's that their belief was not strong enough to match the fear that they had. And here's what makes this so interesting. Jesus asked the question, why are you so afraid? And the literal Greek word that he uses here, it speaks of timidity and fearfulness, but most importantly, it speaks of this idea, cowardice. Why would Jesus go so hard? Why would Jesus ask them if they were cowards? Because Jesus, just a couple of verses before, talked about how small, but yet how powerful their faith could be. You don't believe me? Go to verse 30 in Mark chapter 4. Again, he said, catch this, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, 
which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He's telling them the smallest piece of faith, the smallest piece, the smallest seed is big enough to conquer anything that you face. But you couldn't even bring the smallest seed to this situation. You forgot what I said. You forgot what I just taught you. You forgot my capability. You forgot that I gave you the tools to get through the thing that you're getting ready to face. And here's the question we have to ask ourselves. Church, have we used all the tools that God has given to us? Some of us are afraid of opposition because it's different than what we thought. Some of us, our kids are getting to a certain age and now we don't know what to do. Some of us, our marriages are progressing to a certain point and now we're panicking because we haven't seen this before. Some of us are enduring situations and relationships and things on our jobs and health defects and issues and we're sitting back and we're saying, God, I can't deal with this. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Just because you haven't seen it before doesn't mean that you don't have the faith to conquer something you ain't seen before. Just because you haven't witnessed it or gone through it yourself or someone around you hasn't witnessed it or gone through it themselves, doesn't mean that you don't have already within you the power and the authority to do what God has called you to do. Never let your fear fester. And here's why. When your fears speak, you must never respond with silence. When your fears speak, you must never respond with silence. The wrong response to fear is no response to fear. We must always be answering our fears with the requisite faith that comes from the inside of us that only God has placed in us. The wrong response to fear is no response. So it's not that they were afraid of drowning, it's that they forgot that they had enough faith on the inside of them to respond to the size of their fear. Yes, they might have strong fear, but do you have strong faith to match it? Yes, they might have strong concerns, but do you have strong belief to match those concerns? Yes, you might be facing a great situation, an obstacle, but are you using all of the tools in your arsenal, all the tools that God has given to you to respond to those fears? Never let your fears go unanswered, church. Unanswered fear is dangerous. It's a scheme from the enemy. Yes, you might have those fears. Press into them, but always answer them. Always answer them with what you know that God has given to you. The final fear is a little bit different. Allow me to use my holy imagination, if you will. Jesus, uh, a chapter before this in Mark chapter 3, he goes up to the mountainside and he calls his disciples. And when he calls his disciples, he issues them a call and then also commissions them with the power and authority that they need to drive out demons and to preach the gospel. And now, just a chapter later, they find themselves in a potentially life-threatening situation. I think the disciples not just had a, a fear of loss or a, a fear of, of loneliness or fear of opposition. I think they also had a fear of failure. The question I think the disciples were thinking as the storm was picking up around them, did you bring me all this way to let me down? Did you bring me all this way? Did I have to give up all that? 
for this? <laughs> you ever thought that? God, I served you. I told people about you. I got ridiculed when I made the decision to follow Jesus. I gave money that I earned. I sacrificed opportunities because they violated my conviction. I did all this. And now I'm in a situation that might take me under. Hold up. You brought me all this way to let me down. Some of us are so afraid of failure that it is compromising our relationship with Jesus. Jesus has called us to take risks in faith, and we're afraid of failing. We have reached a point where we say, God, I'll trust you up until this point, and we stop. Because that would be too great a risk for us. We're afraid of losing it all. We're afraid deep in the back recesses of our soul. We're saying this in our head. This is what we're saying. Could it all be worth nothing? Am I truly walking in the right path? Or am I just giving all this up for nothing? And there are some of us who are younger that have to reach that point. Perhaps our seasoned saints, they've already passed that moment, but perhaps those of us who are millennials and Gen Z, we have to ask those hard questions. Are we truly looking around and are we afraid to take a true step for Jesus? Are we afraid to be as bold in our faith as we should because we fear failure? It's too great a risk. What will people think? Will I have to end this relationship? Will I have to do things differently? And the fear of failure is something you can't bring into 2021, church. If you're going to go hard for God, if you're going to re really be fully invested in your purpose in Jesus, you can't have a fear of failure. You have to go all in. You have to be fully trusting. You have to be fully trusting and believing that God didn't bring you this far just to leave you. What's the only adequate answer to these poisonous fears? The only adequate answer to poisonous fears, to the wrong fears, is perfect peace. Jesus stands up when they wake him up, and he speaks directly to the thing that has caused them to be afraid and says, peace, be still. Using, by the way, the same authority he had given them. I think it's possible that if they had enough faith and belief in what Jesus said, they could have stood up themselves and told the storm to be quiet. And the storm would have obeyed because the authority came from the one who was bigger than it. Perhaps the question is not, what do I do with these fears? But the, perhaps the question is, what should I say to these fears? <laughs> what should I say to these fears? What should I say to the fear of loss, loss of power, status, comparison, approval? What should I say to the fear of, the, of loneliness that causes me to jump into situations quickly because I want to be around people because I feel like God has forsaken me and that God's not enough anymore for me. So I have to get in places where I, I have a different type of acceptance. The fear of opposition. It's a different obstacle than what I was expecting. The fear of failure. What if it's all for nothing? What do we say to these fears? Peace. Perhaps our response is to verbalize with our mouths the peace that Jesus promises us, the Prince of Peace promises us. So I want to challenge you 
over these next couple of days, over these next seven days as we enter into our fasting time. I want to challenge you to speak peace over situations that you think are too big. To speak peace in areas of your life that you think God has forgotten about. God doesn't even care about anymore. I want to challenge you to interrogate your fears. To interrogate your concerns. And to ask yourself this question. Has God truly forgotten or am I not walking in the power God has given to me? Why are you so afraid? That's the question. God, we come before you right now, and God, we recognize that you still have the power to calm storms. You still have the power to silence fears. You still have the power to make the darkness tremble. And so we come before you honest about the fact that we feel afraid, not just in our personal lives, but nationally as well. When it comes to what will will happen in the next weeks or months or years. And God, our fears, large and small, they matter to you. I thank you that you have given us space to be honest about them. But God, I pray that we would not succumb and submit to fear. I pray that we would not allow the wrong fears to poison this year. We can't enter into a new year unless we address old fears. So I pray that we bring it to the surface. God, if there are people who need to take the step of counseling, I pray that they would do that. God, if there are people who need to take the step of getting a therapist, I pray that they would do that. God, if there are some of us who need to take the step of being honest with our significant other, our partner, about the fact that we're struggling with something, we're afraid, I pray that they would do that. God, if we need to be honest with parents or children about these latent fears that have caused us to treat them differently, I pray that we would do that. I pray that we would confront and address every illicit fear because fear, those wrong fears, they come from the enemy. And I pray that they would not cause us, subvert, or lead us away from our purpose. I pray that you give us faith, the faith of a mustard seed, to stand on what you have called us to stand on, to use the power that you've given to us, I pray, God, that we would meditate on the fact that you can say to a storm, peace be still, and we can do the same things in your power. And God, even if you don't calm the storm the way that we think, God, it's not always about calming the storm around us. Sometimes it's about calming the storm within us. I pray for those who are struggling with that fear, that you give them boldness to walk into 2021 and leave those fears behind. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, I love you. I want you to write that question out, just like you did with Do You Believe. I want you to write that question out on a sticky note. Put it somewhere where you'll see it every single day and ask yourself the question, why am I so afraid? Especially when I know the Prince of Peace. People try to beat you, but we ain't in a race. But I believe there's still an open door if you don't see it. Just as long as I know my purpose, I'm gonna lose it. I can't lose it. I get knocked down all the time. It doesn't mean that I'm defeated. I'm going through changes, through changes. Ways.